everybody. It's me, Jack, again. Thanks for tuning in to my Let's Talk Recovery and Family podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. And I hope that you find that you're getting something out of um, the these sessions. I, I keep calling them sessions. It's just something I'm, a terminology that I'm accustomed to using, I guess. Uh, I, each one of these are actually podcasts, but <clears throat> uh, it's a session to me. Uh, I guess maybe because it feels a little bit like a session. Whether it's a counseling session, group session, individual session, whatever. It's kind of all the same to me, but I appreciate you tuning in. Absolutely a joy to have you. And by the way, if you feel like you're getting something out of um, this stuff and it's helping you or a family member or helping you talk with a family member, which would be an absolute wonderful um, scenario um, and would bring me great joy. Anyway, please hit that uh, support button. Any little contribution you can uh, even consider is a big help. I appreciate it. Uh, No matter what it is, it helps keep my equipment up to date um, and functioning. As I mentioned before, sometimes these computerized things get glitches, and it's kind of a crazy thing when that happens. right? Also, there's a message button. Feel free. Feel free to make comment, ask me a question. Maybe we can just get into some sort of dialogue. Uh, all in fun, and um, and I'm looking forward uh, to continue continuing to do this podcast. Again, I appreciate it. One thing, one thing I have found disturbing while working in addiction is the number of addicts that use drugs that send them into two different directions. Two different directions. Um, it's not as common that addicts not use different things, including alcohol. And maybe a little more common, but not as much as maybe it was once before. Um, but even alcoholics uh, will tend to use other things. Maybe a little more rare. Um um, but not as much as you would uh, you would think. It's kind of a crazy thing. But these guys tend to use things, as I said, that'll send them into two different directions. I'm talking about the use of opiates, methamphetamine. Those two things were quite common in the MAT world uh, as medication-assisted treatment. Uh, in the MAT world, it's crazy that um, it, it was pretty often, often enough to raise question. I don't know what it would be statistically. I thought about looking that up. I haven't had the opportunity to, but nonetheless, uh, it was kind of uh, intriguing how those two things would come together. And I love MAT. I can't, you know, stress that enough. I think that, as I've said before, there are different directions in treatment. I wholeheartedly don't feel like there's any one cookie cutter program, right, that will work for every single individual. It's amazing to me that we teach our kids from toddler on up that they can be what they want to be, like what they want to like, be an individual and all those types of things that we tell our kids growing up. But then when it comes to this sort of thing, there are some people who feel like there's just one way. 
there is just one way. Sure, I do agree that you shouldn't knock any one way until you at least give it a wholehearted attempt. I'm not talking about going into like residential treatment and sort of, you know, half-assing the whole thing only to come out and say, see, it didn't work. Makes no sense if you didn't apply yourself, right? But MAT is important. I know that's a question uh, for a lot of people. Um, it's got a place in the recovery world and it does work. Didn't seem that anybody had any qualms about medication assisted treatment when it's nicotine patches or lozenges, right? Or any of those other things that to uh, help decrease or get rid of the use of tobacco. Nobody balked at MAT when they used and abuse for alcoholics. And there's another one out there that uh, I can't recall right at the moment. But it's kind of strange that there is medication-assisted treatment for a lot of things. But people tend to frown at uh, methadone and suboxone. I don't know. I'll get off my, my pedestal here. But it's just one of those arguments that will probably go on forever. But the other one is alcohol and cocaine. I know a lot of alcoholics, a lot of people who drink, maybe not alcoholically, but use cocaine. It's just kind of the most intriguing thing. Um, and maybe we'll never know the answer. Um, it's just one of those things that send people in two different directions. I know they can say, well, if I get too far down, the meth brings me back up. Um, or the cocaine brings me back up. Or if I get too spun out on the meth or cocaine, the alcohol or heroin or pain pills brings me back down, right? Um, and I guess they think they're finding some sort of normalcy in the midst of all that chaos. I don't know. It's just kind of crazy. You know, in the last session, we talked about the dangers, right? We talked about the dangers of doing that back and forth thing um, with the body and the brain. It's just not at all safe. Not at all safe. So today... I want to look at another term. I know we've talked about going over terms and some other definitions and what, you know, uh, describing them to you guys a little bit. Um, today I want to look at drug switching. It is actually quite common too. drug switching. People tend to think, well, this one's not as dangerous, right? Uh, maybe if I quit drinking, just smoke pot. Right? Or some other whatever drug of choice they might have. But drug switching, it's kind of intriguing as well. There are other situations in which the user replaces his or her primary drug with a secondary drug that is not cross tolerant. And we talked about cross tolerance. Uh, some people whose primary drug is cocaine are also likely to use alcohol because it reduces the overstimulation, just like I mentioned a second ago, and helps them sleep at night, right? But again, if we're knocking ourselves out every night, you know, I mentioned in another, in another podcast that the brain and body actually have a process that they go through in and during the process of falling asleep naturally. 
There's certain brain chemistry that happens, body stuff goes on, right? Those kinds of things. And if we're just knocking ourselves out at night, I feel like, you know, you can research it some too, that the body may lose the ability to do that. The ability to fall asleep naturally, take those natural steps because you just skip them and you knock yourself out. Right. I think that's one of the reasons maybe why some alcoholics and some opiate addicts that are, uh, you know, I can't sleep. I can't, I got clean and sober. I've been clean and sober for two months and I can't sleep. Well, that may be why the, the body and the brain are trying to catch up. You got to give it some time. You got to give it some time. We know you can't sleep at night, but maybe try some over the counter stuff. Don't necessarily jump into some other narcotics. Right. Don't necessarily do that. Also, during times when they do not have cocaine, they may use large amounts of alcohol to decrease depression and agitation. Right? I used to kind of do that, too. Um, I fall victim to that back in the day, uh, 20 plus years ago. Um, Dealing with depression and anxiety, sometimes I had some anger issues. Right, had some anger issues, and I used to tell people that I I tend to drink and overdrink for your safety, um, and that was just sort of my mentality. It's kind of crazy, but it's true. It is true. They use alcohol to decrease uh, depression and agitation, which which is weird with depression because alcohol is a depressant. Um, it's kind of crazy. The alcohol may not be as effective. At reducing the depression, that's probably why. In fact, it may make the person more depressed. And that is why um, I just mentioned that it is a depressant. So drug switching is um, common, but not a good thing either. Some people addicted to one drug may begin to use another drug, even if it has a completely different effect. When their primary drug is unavailable, that's, ten, that's kind of what happens. This process is called drug switching. People addicted to stimulants often switch to depressants when their stimulants are unavailable. Just as I mentioned a second ago, it's like you're used to speeding, right? Speaking of which, stay off of those over-the-counter things that you see at 7-Eleven. Right, all those caffeine pills and energy drinks. Come on, man, too many of those. And your heart is just not able to tolerate that for long periods of time. For some people, they may be able to drink those things, you know, for the next 10 years before they see or feel anything. Um, But I've known some people already that those energy drinks, they're drinking two, three, four a day and having heart issues. It's not a good thing. Those things were not designed to drink like regular sodas or tea, um, especially if we started off the morning with two or three cups of coffee. Uh, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Switching is a reminder that the addictive process is not dependent on a specific type of drug. I'm going to have to see that, say that again for you. Drug switching is a reminder that the addictive process, right? Remember we talked about the progression of addiction. 
the addictive process is not dependent on a specific type of drug, but rather on an a psychoactive drug, right? It's all in the brain. The brain just knows it needs to be altered, and they don't really care what you use. There's not a, a file in your brain that has opiates or alcohol in it. There's not a file that says cocaine on it or pizza or sex or cheeseburgers, but all of those things hit and target those feel-good receptor sites, right? The brain is just looking for a payoff. The brain is just looking for a payoff. It don't care whether it's up or down. So you have to be careful when you're mixing these things. A person who wants to stop using one drug must stop using all psychoactive drugs. It's like we had a client one time actually tell us, I'm here for opiate addiction treatment. Y'all don't treat methamphetamine here. She would not quit. Would not quit. Couldn't even, it didn't even seem like it was on her radar to quit the methamphetamine. She didn't see herself being just completely sober. It's like it was a, a foreign language or something. It's kind of crazy. Well, let me get a drink of my southern tea. But it's kind of crazy when people feel that way. Um, and it's dangerous to do that to the body. I've known people to use stimulants to offset downers and vice versa. I can't emphasize enough how dangerous this up and down process is on the body and the brain. This is actually called an upper downer cycle. Right, That's one of the books I had, too, in college. When I was going to college, one of the books was called Uppers, Downers, and All-Arounders. It was kind of the weirdest thing, but it had a lot of good information in it. A lot of good information in it. But the upper-downer cycle is described like this. I'll read it out of the Living and Balance curriculum. Most people who use both a primary drug and one or more secondary drugs frequently take depressants and stimulants together. Mm, not safe at all. Not safe at all. Family members keep an eye out for that kind of thing because um, it's really not good on the brain. Uh, it's not good. For instance, many people who use cocaine also use alcohol or marijuana. Mentioned that a minute ago. To lower the agitation caused by the initial drug. Man, if you're angry, right, stimulants are not the answer, not the answer. However, alcohol not only lessens the cocaine-induced agitation, <laughs> but also reduces the cocaine euphoria. Because of this, there is a tendency to take more cocaine to increase the euphoria, followed by more alcohol to reduce the agitation followed by more cocaine, followed by more alcohol. You get it? Are you feeling me on this? Not good. This is called the up or downer cycle. Since the stimulant and the depressant counteract each other in some ways, the individual may not feel very intoxicated and can consume very large amounts of both drugs. Dangerous. Alcohol poisoning. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of alcohol poisoning. Look it up. Not good. 
In this up or downer cycle, people can consume far more stimulant and depressant than they would if they consumed either drug alone. It's not a good thing. Can you imagine the heart? Your heart is just doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what to do. And it's never good. Never good. I was uh, researching some stuff once and I found um, some key points off of this website. Um, they, have, they share some good stuff on their, on their website, um, blackbearrehab.com. And they said this, downers impair respiratory pump functions and suppress the, I always forget how to say that word, the mandula oblongata. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, remember? Suppresses the mandula oblongata. There's one point. Another point. Uppers increase the respiratory muscular fatigue. So the muscles that operate your breathing get tired. Ooh. Suppressing an overworked respiratory system increases the risk of its failure. So you've got uppers that are tiring out or creating fatigue for respiratory muscles, right? Then you got depressants. Oh man, you can see it's not safe. Suppressing the overworked respiratory system, which increases the risk of its failure. Guys, these kinds of drugs are not doing you any favors family members i hope you're hearing me be watching for these kinds of things another point they made uppers could mask warning signs that a central nervous system depression is occurring important i'll repeat it uppers can mask warning signs that a central nervous system depression is occurring while downers might mask a dangerously rapid heartbeat. Mm. So downers might mask a dangerously rapid heartbeat, and the uppers, oh man, it just does not sound good. Does not sound good. One more point they made. The physical fatigue from taking conflicting drugs strains multiple systems in the body multiple systems in the body. So you're risking, I mean, they mask each other. They mask each other. And so you don't always catch it until it's too late. It's too late. It would look very, very weird to see someone who's mm, maybe not out cold, but chilling out, relaxing, almost dozing off kind of thing. And they have a heart attack. Mm. We'll say, what were they doing? They weren't exercising or running or playing basketball or nothing like that. They were sitting there watching TV. Had a heart attack. Which that can happen, of course, you know, depending on someone's health. You don't have to be drugs and alcohol involved, you know. Um, but if you throw the two in the mix, it really increases the chances of some bad things happening some bad things happening. 
So here's some more on what the Living and Balanced curriculum says. Since the users don't feel intoxicated, and since the drugs counteract each other, the amount of stimulants and depressants consumed can be fatal. So although you don't seem to be high, or although you don't seem to be suppressed in any manner, those things can still be going on within the brain and body. Right? It, they counteract each other. The stimulants, the amount of stimulants and depressants consumed can be fatal. In addition, the body will break down or metabolize different drugs at different rates. That's the trick. Right? Some drugs are metabolized differently, slower or faster. For instance, the body will break down cocaine far more quickly than alcohol. Someone who has consumed large amounts of alcohol and cocaine together may not appear severely intoxicated. However, as the cocaine breaks down and no longer has much effect, the alcohol will still be quite effective. At this point, the person will be extremely drunk and possibly unable to walk, much less drive. So we all know, or a lot of people know, if you've used cocaine, it's a quick high. It's up and you're down. That's why I think it was called uh, back in the day the rich man's drug because you got to consume it over and over and over again to maintain whatever high that they're trying to maintain. Right? So you go up and you go down. You go up and you go down. Uh, which, by the way, even if you're not using uh, depressants in any form, that up and down thing, not good. Not good. Right? Uh, here's one of the questions that it asked, too. Do you normally use alcohol or other drugs in an up or downer cycle? Do you know of an addict that's doing that? Right? It's not safe. Not safe at all. And I really hope that... There's a lot of alcoholics and addicts that are listening. Um, if you're contemplating treatment, then there's got to be a reason why. Your normal run-of-the-mill person does not just contemplate drug and alcohol treatment. If it's something that your family members have suggested, really weigh that out. Especially if it's more than one. Right. You got two, three, four family members that have made comment. Right. You know, two or three, four people can't be wrong. I would really, really look into it. But don't get disappointed. Family don't like don't you get disappointed either. Right. The first line on page 83 in the Alcoholics Anonymous book says, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. That doesn't sound like overnight verbiage to me. And I know family members are looking for that overnight answer. There's not one. There's not one. Family members, I hope you're hearing me. These th drugs have such an impact on the brain and body that in some cases it would be very dangerous to stop cold turkey. Very dangerous to stop cold turkey. 
right? So if you and your addict family member are talking about treatment, right, be supportive. Be supportive. And you know what? If you're talking about treatment for the second or third time, be just as supportive. Be just as supportive. I think I've mentioned that relapse can be part of the process, but also shared that it's not a requirement. Not a requirement. Uh, I know some alcoholics and addicts uh, would ask that you understand that relapse is part of the problem, right? Relapse is part of the problem, but it doesn't have to be. It's not mandatory. It's not mandatory, right? It's just one of those things. So quickly, let me let me talk about primary and secondary drug effects, okay? Alcohol and other drugs have primary and secondary effects. The primary effect is the action that a drug has on a person shortly after it has been taken. Example, the primary effects of cocaine include feeling stimulated and alert, feeling less depressed, having more rapid thoughts, and having quicker physical activity, right? However, if someone takes a large amount of cocaine or takes cocaine over a long period of time, there are secondary effects. Secondary effects occur. Be watching out for this stuff. In this example, secondary effects can include feeling overstimulated and paranoid. Mm, I hope you're hearing that. Secondary effects of cocaine in some cases can be feeling overstimulated and paranoid, feeling overconfident, having confusing thoughts, not just rapid thoughts, but confusing thoughts, and feeling unable to handle the tremendous overload of sights, sounds, and feelings. Right? You got all those things going on around you. Let's say you're at a dance club. You're in deep kimchi if these things start happening. Right? Overload of sights, sounds, and feelings. The stimulating effects of cocaine also cause insomnia, talked about not sleeping, as well as lack of interest in nutrition, resulting in sleep and food deprivation. Losing sleep can make people nervous, right, and agitated. So all this stuff is building on itself. It sort of creates the nervousness and agitation only to have you do things that exacerbate the nervousness and agitation. This can lead to hearing voices and seeing hallucinations. It's not good, guys. The secondary effects of alcohol can include depression, lack of energy, memory loss, confusion, sleep deprivation. We discussed that earlier, right? Losing the ability to fall asleep naturally um, and a decrease in the desire to eat, right? Some people gain weight when they're drinking heavy. Uh, but this talks about a decrease in the desire to eat. Uh, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. For all drugs of abuse, secondary effects will occur after extended periods of use. So we're talking about fairly long periods of time. 
um, but you don't want to go there. Don't go there. Find some help, right? It can happen after extended periods of use, which means if you're using cocaine for two, three, four days in a row, some of this stuff is going to start happening, right? And this is putting the individual out of balance physically, emotionally, and socially. Out of balance physically, emotionally. Emotionally, you know, there'll be up and downs. You're crying, you're mad, you're crying, you're mad, right? Can't stand the family, need the family around. It's just this roller coaster of things that can occur. So be careful. Be careful with drug switching. Be careful with the up or downer cycle, right? If you find yourself in those situations, it's a very volatile time. Get with somebody and try to get some help as soon as you can. Um, Family members, I'm going to take a second to encourage your alcoholic family member to come to you. So if you're listening to this and they're encouraged and they want to come to you, please, please listen gently and intently, right? Uh, Don't give them the cold shoulder because if they're coming to you for help, it's probably one that's going to be needed ASAP. So take those things into consideration. Anyway, I hope you appreciate your time today. I appreciate you guys listening. It's been a wonderful time. And until next time, uh, be blessed, everybody. Appreciate you.